Welcome to episode 261 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop. My guest today is Flavio Volpe, president of the Automotive Parts Manufacturing Association, and he's a thoughtful voice on the future of the industry, especially the Canadian industry, as it grapples with the rapid electrification of transportation. I'm especially interested in his take on the emergence of China's EV industry as a major, perhaps existential, threat to North America, uh, North American OEMs like GM and Ford, whose factories are supplied by his association's members. So welcome to the interview, Flavio. Thanks for having me on. Well, happy to have you here, and we have to start this interview with congratulations on receiving the Order of Canada. Well done, well, I, mate. I appreciate that. It is, um, you know, it's an honor of a lifetime, really, and a bit of a surprise, um, and... Um, you know, it's funny, I, I wear this pin out everywhere. And, uh, <laughs> you know, first place I go, I end up at a meeting with an industry meeting and Ray Tange is in there. Ray Tange used to run Toyota Motor Manufacturing Canada. He's the highest ranked Canadian executive in uh, automotive history, especially at um, at uh, Toyota, save for Sergio Marchione, who ran uh, FCA. And everybody does the intro and Ray starts and he says, Flavio, congratulations. And I said, well, you know, it's an honor to be acknowledged by you you know i follow as closely as i can in your footsteps you've done a hell of a lot for canada more than i could uh, uh pretend to do have done and um you know after and i said and where's your pin it was flavio you wear those formal things not in the middle of the afternoon at a meeting at a college <laughs> said, okay well i'm learning i'm a rookie well if i had a, an order of canada pin i would wear it at every opportunity trust yeah, me thanks. so i'm with you look i want to start off i mentioned the the threat to the north american industry from china's automotive industry particularly around evs i want to start off with uh, a quote from uh, carlos tavares who's the ceo of stellantis nv because i think this frames it just about as well as it can be framed so here we go quote if the automotive industry doesn't move, this industry will disappear under the offensive of the Chinese industry. The magnitude of the Chinese offensive, the competitiveness that they can demonstrate, and the massive arrival of all of their best car makers is a significant change, end yep. quote. Yep. I'll get you to respond to that. Well, that's the end of the interview, because what else can I add to that? He's he's hit the nail on the head Um uh, so publicly, uh, and so materially from from Carlos Tavares, you know the world's the CEO of the world's fourth or fifth biggest automaker, um, and someone who understands a lot about uh, what the dynamics of this really hard competition look like. A, a, a company that's been amalgamated from uh, different pieces from either side of the Atlantic. Uh, that famously, uh, you know, former CEOs of the different pieces said, look, we got to consolidate or we're going to die. Well, Sergio Marchione, who used to run FCA, uh, that was absorbed uh, into the new Stellantis, was talking about uh, what he saw in China and what he saw in electrification and what he saw in consumer trends. And all of those things are favoring Beijing and Shanghai. It is people are saying they'd like to see technology in their vehicles. It's actually a new market of consumer, not necessarily 
the old gray beards like you and me, although it does include the gray beards specifically on the screen. Speak for yourself, Flavia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't grow your beard out, so now we don't know. I know that's the problem. Um, uh, you know, here is the third biggest expense that anybody has after shelter and transportation. And this is a great California company that sells me a $1,500 Chinese phone. And the Chinese are so uh, vertically integrated and centrally planned and access to capital uh, at rates uh, that uh, are, you know, in some cases free money, uh, uh, a, a coordinated Chinese effort on automotive is not um, the same as you would think in the, in the traditional Western market sense. There's five major OEMs you know, there's 30 there, but let's say that there's five big ones there. When, when it's time for consolidation, China Inc. says Nanjing Auto fall under Shanghai Auto. They'd spent the last 20 years um, learning how to uh, make cars at the same quality as uh, global OEMs, including doing JVs with all the major OEs. They started in China, and, and now the product is, is ready. It's inundating Europe. It's inundating the Asian markets and secondary uh, uh, American uh, markets, and um, they're coming. They're coming. My take Here's my take on this. So 20-ish years ago, we'll say 25, yeah. uh, the Chinese government decided that it was going to uh, get into the clean energy industry in a big way. And it had a, an automotive manufacturing sector, but it was never going to catch the the West and Je you know Japan and and South Korea. So it decided that it would do a pivot into uh, electric vehicles, yeah. and it would dominate that. And would it would it would do the investments up front uh, to get onto the S curve of that industry, and it would you know so there'd be a long learning curve, but eventually the the uh, China would be the best. And I have to say, as much as I, you know, keep track of these things at a global level, China's emergence in 2023 as a major force in electric vehicle manufacturing caught me a bit by surprise. And I'm sure it didn't catch you by surprise, because I imagine this has been a topic of conversation in, in within the industry for years and years. But why are we suddenly now, China is the Chinese EVs are a hot topic of conversation and popular conversation, you know, popular conversations, but it seems to have snuck up on us. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that assessment. I'll tell you what we saw uh, in the mid 2010s. We've been, we were going back and forth to China and we noted that at the time, this is before the Volkswagen diesel scandal uh, that the Chinese had, um, uh, I guess decided as a as a sector as a country they were going to skip diesel, they weren't going to be able to catch up. Um, uh, and much like you talked about, they weren't going to be able to catch up for on a pure play for internal combustion. They said, "Let's go new energy." Now, uh, where they had a, a a lot of the the core competencies already is we were all buying electronic goods from China. You know, a a a, a motor that's in your SUV your electric motor is is principally the same as the motor that's in your electric fan that's in your the your toys or tools um, and all of those were being sourced in china so it's let's gross that up uh, and then at the same time a lot of the a lot of the battery uh, technology developments depended on uh, new chemistries and in china um, you know I used to be in the solar business and the the japanese and the germans were the best 
you know, but it would cost $6 a watt to install a, a, a unit. And then the Chinese got involved and they turned it into $1 a watt and blew those guys out of the water. Well, that's, they do these vertically integrated investments, uh, very strategic national plays. And that's where they are on the critical minerals that go into those battery chemistries. So they learn from JVs. They learn from uh, having the biggest home market, you know, 35 million cars a year. Uh, they learn by doing, and then um, they decided, you know, they, they said it's rather public and national strategy to be, uh, to have a dominant export um, capability by 2025. We're just kind of the general public, uh, the enthusiasts are kind of seeing it creep up in these triple digit increases in imports from China. But anybody who watched Tesla uh, make a deal in China 2018, 2019 should have known and seen that they have world class capabilities that can be borrowed by, you know, leading automotive brands. So here we are. One of the things that uh, points has been made about this uh, uh, process is that, and you pointed it out uh, in your previous comment, is that China has had integrated and very uh, scaled up and low cost uh, electronic supply chains for, for decades. Yeah. I mean, this is something they, they really, you know, you, when, when Flavio was, was talking about the thing he held in his hand, he was, we had an iPhone yeah. and, and as I have one myself and it's this terrific technology made in China. Uh, and so the the fact that they have electronic supply chains, and this is the argument, then making electric vehicles is just a natural extension of that. They're very good at that. They have the supply chains, yeah. they have the, criti the critical minerals and, and battery metals processing and all of those things. They just have to restructure it and scale it up on the on the automotive side. And that gives them a tremendous advantage at, over North America, which outsourced all of its electronics manufacturing and its its supply chains years and years ago to to Asia and particularly China. And does that put us really on the on our back feet? Yeah, yeah. I think what we did was, um, to put it in a more dramatic sense, we said, "Oh well, you know what? This is about thirty years ago. Um, uh, our the West." biggest challenge is the old uh, was the the soviet bloc and um imagine we turn around and said look you know what in this arms race we've got to find the cheapest place to get uh, the stuff we need to defend ourselves so we outsource it to china and then while well, the soviet bloc collapses and um china got our gross orders and we got used to buying this stuff for really cheap and of course they can bring to bear uh, labor and materials in ways in which uh, we wouldn't dare. You know, we wouldn't dare. We also invited them into the WTO, gave them a WTO citizenship, so to speak, gave them WTO rules. We thought China will westernize. And the reality is that, well, that was never in the Chinese interest. The Chinese interest was let's let, let's get a peek in a, into the China, in the Western markets and let's see if we can dominate them without playing by their rules. And yeah, they can challenge us at the WTO and we'd lose something here and lose something there. But we have that sweet nectar of, oh, you need all that stuff that you get at Walmart for really cheap, uh, you know, to make life affordable, use us. Well, now here we are and our adversary is the one that we had, uh, we gave the missile design to and the, the jet engine design to. Okay, so that begs the question and you're in a unique position to provide an answer. 
can the West adjust and and meet the competition head on, uh, or are we just going to be overwhelmed by the Chinese, you know, industrial tsunami? I don't want to underestimate the Chinese. I think, in as much as I spend a lot of time talking about them, that we need to uh, we need to respond. Um, they have a formidable head start. You know, if we're talking specifically about EVs, and 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 things that matter like ability to 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 gobble up a market and then use the retained earnings in that market to develop products faster than we can you know um we have to decide who we is and that what we want uh i always say we i paint with a real wide brush the you know the the operators in the west market driven companies etc but they're all heavily invested in china they're either heavily invested in manufacturing in china like General Motors sells more cars in China than it does in uh, the U.S., and and because that makes business sense for General Motors, that, that their shareholders demanded that, you know. But what's the we when you talk about companies that are are co-invested there? Chinese are not invested here, so the we probably is probably is um, uh, Western governments, starting with the U.S. and maybe Brussels, or if it's not Brussels, at least. Um, uh, Germany specifically with with some France in there uh, and, and the UK. You, you turn around and, and of course Japan and, and South Korea and turn around and say uh, what are the tools that we have? Tariffs? Um, how do we slow down the Japanese invasion in the early 80s here? We we had them d- drop off cars at the port of, Montre- of uh, Vancouver and then we inspected every one of them. But we knew how the Japanese would respond because they were market driven. They're like okay we'll just do better than you and we'll invest there. The Chinese don't have to. I will say that we cannot afford to say, let's we'll see what happens. If we want to have a domestic, if it's important to have a domestic uh, automotive manufacturing uh, capacity, I think it is. Uh, you can't be a service industry. You've got to lend money against something. Uh, but the 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 we's really have to get active yesterday. Uh, I'm uh, My views on that question are... are pretty well known. And yeah. I argue that the this is, you know, it could be the fourth industrial revolution, it could be the sixth industrial revolution, depends which academic uh, you, you read, but it is an industrial revolution. And this is a, a, an inflection point in Canadian history. We have been hewers of wood and drawers of water since 1867. That is our almost our national identity. We've, we've carved out a wonderful lifestyle for ourselves, but the world is changing. And this is an opportunity, a moment in time, to build a clean energy industry and supply chains that will not come again, not for 100 years. You and I will be long gone. It'll be our great-great-grandchildren you know, who, get the ne- who deal with the next one. But this is ours. And we need to move and we need to get off. You know, Canadians are so complacent. My God, we we just getting this issue onto the national conversation is a is a major challenge. Never mind acting and never mind supporting whatever government policy has been put in place to to implement it. Just even talking about. And I am I'm I'm of the opinion that we ought to do we ought to take a, a page out of the Chinese playbook and go as hard on clean energy industry as we can, and that includes your industry. Yeah. There's, you have over 700 members. Many of these companies like Magna International are, you know, they're international companies. They supply 
auto parts all over the place. A lot of jobs and a lot of capital tied up in that. And we ought not to just concede that. We ought yeah. to fight for it. And so that leads me to my next question, which is your organization's Arrow Project. Yeah. You, you had you had Arrow Point One, which yeah. I love, by the way. I think I said it to you on Twitter. Hey, man, I'll buy that thing. I you know, know you did. 20 million. I'll sell it to you right now. Oh, gee, I'm, I'm a journalist, dude. Not yeah, a, yeah, yeah. I'm not a trust fund baby. Come on. Yeah, we'll do uh, some but, good terms for you. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, cheap capital, got it. Uh, but phase two is underway now. So yeah. explain what phase was, uh, phase one was for our yeah. our listeners, and then what phase, how phase two is different. Um. First of all, you've always been rather generous about Project Arrow, and I appreciate it. Uh, you know, Project Arrow was is. Uh, us turning around saying, look, how do we, how do we take exactly what you said? You know, we may be going, we we may be going down, but shouldn't we fight for the parachute? You know, we don't have a Canadian uh, uh, automotive company. We don't have a haven't had an OE since Malcolm Brickland decided to make little sports cars in Nova Scotia and then um, run out of money rather quick. Uh, but we make everything from bumper to bumper. And, and more importantly, we're very well positioned to be the supplier for all the battery chemistries and all the all the 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 new technology that gets platformed um, on a 400 volt or an 800 volt or a 1200 volt um, electric electric platform. Uh, we decided that the best way for us to tell the world that Canada is going to fight for it is to show what a Canadian car uh, uh, would and could be. We ran a design competition for post-secondary students, uh, a, a group out of uh, Carleton University in Ottawa. One, if you go to projectero.ca or you Google it, you'll see it. We uh, hired away the chief engineer uh, from uh, Aston Martin, uh, Fraser Dunn, who 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 led us through uh, you know an incredible uh, th three-year engineering exercise. We went out for bid for companies, 534 bid, 244 had technology that was scalable for 2025. 58 of them came together, came together at Ontario Tech University, where all of these parts from all these skunk works from around the country came together to say, this is what Canada can do. It's been around the world, you know, uh, 200 plus feature articles in, in 14 different languages. And it said, we can be your supplier, but more importantly, we can be the, the, the leaders in that entire ecosystem. So 2.0 is um, the genie's out of the bottle on 1.0. We couldn't put it back in how many more suppliers and how many more technologies can we platform if we build a fleet of five to 25 vehicles? But more importantly, can we take moonshots in other spaces like uh, 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 virtual power plants, uh, vehicle to grid, uh, new chemistries, new orientations in, in, uh, in uh, energy storage and, and deployment? Uh, you know, let's really kind of work out what's possible from an ESG point of view. And then, um, what's possible from a lightweighting point of view. And let's try to bring the entire community together, the related community together. And we would platform them. And what we're asking people to do is bid, um, you know, propose partnerships on project arrow.ca, but we're saying we have a supplier stream, but I have a partner stream, a, a capital P partner stream. And we've got partner opportunities around the country for anybody that wants to use some of the lightning that we caught here to highlight what we're able to do. And I'll say this, I, I, I went, I got invited to speak at um, uh, the federal cabinet retreat in Montreal a couple of weeks ago. And I talked to a lot of people about we're ranked number one now, you know, that day we were still number two, 
at Bloomberg NEF for battery supply chain potential, but not not potential. Yes, potential. But it's very clear we make make that distinction. That's the key word. I said not to OEMs or not, because OEs right now who are being pushed to get to 100% by 2035, they need to find this stuff now. And right now that means ostensibly China. Or if you find it somewhere else, it gets processed in China. So what should we do as a national project here? Project Arrow is a, uh, uh, in, in some ways, a marketing exercise, some ways a technology demonstration uh, uh, or a policy platform discussion. But if you control policy in this country, we should say that we want to bring those critical minerals to market in eight to 10 years or earlier if we can, but no longer than that. Peg a date, take a whole bunch of the consecutive approval processes and investment processes and make them concurrent so that you could tell Volkswagen or Hyundai or Shanghai Auto or whoever else, if you need lithium or graphite or nickel or cobalt in this volume, this is where you get it. This is when you get it. And this is what we think the spot price would be. Because if we don't do that, all these car companies will choose their suppliers. Those suppliers are not stupid. Not the one thing about the Chinese is that they are they 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 are uh, as smart or smarter than we are in the planning here. Oh, I'll give you the stuff. I'll subsidize it. Just signing on for a 10, 15 year um, uh, purchase agreement with me. And so we need to get on that horse. We can't just say there it is. Uh, this is time for an anecdote. So in October of 2022, the Alberta Federation of Labor published their uh, blueprint for Alberta called Skate to Where the Puck is Going. And and I was I kind of led the the writing team on that uh, on contract, you know, for journalists, we freelance when where we can. God so we did all sorts of things in that report. We, we argued for a, a pivot from using oil as uh, uh, feedstock for refineries to feedstock for advanced materials manufacture, make carbon fiber at, at half the price it is, sell it to the EV industry. But the reason I'm telling you this is because in uh, November of that year, there was a one-day conference in Ottawa, and I was asked to go and, and talk about this report. And I sat on a on a, a four-member panel uh, with a fellow named uh, Michael Wernick. And you know who Michael Wernick is, but a lot of people don't. He used to be the chief of the Privy Council, which is in Canada, is sort of the head federal bureaucrat. He was in charge of the federal government's civil servants. And he's also a professor of economics and a really bright guy. And we got into it hammers and tongs because Warnick was saying, nah, nah, don't worry about this energy transition stuff, dude. You know, like we've we've been around 150 some years now. We'll muddle through, which is yeah. like uh, should be our national motto, right? Ah, yeah. we'll just muddle through. We muddled through before. We'll muddle through this one. Don't get your panties in a, you know, your knickers in a knot. I, I was incensed because the whole point of the report was, as I just said, there is an opportunity in time, and we as a country have to organize it to take advantage now because it's not coming around again. And yeah. I fear that in policy circles across this country, including in Ottawa, there is way too much of the yeah, we'll muddle through mentality, and we're not having the right conversation. So I ask you, Flavio, am I right? And B, how do we have the right conversation? Wow, you're right. And on B, I don't know. I'll tell you what, I've been throwing those same hammers and tongs uh, uh, to say we have a very finite window. It's not an impossible window to hit, but it will be if we just sit around and and, and hope that it happens. 
there's so many other motivated jurisdictions that would be very happy to be the ones that supply everybody. Also, be very happy to partner with the Chinese who 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 offer capital. So we stop Chinese capital, especially state-owned enterprise, of uh, buying mining assets here. Not every country does that. Buy the assets, get it out of the ground, send it for processing in China, and then bring it back for sale. Other countries will do that. Australia does it, and they do it quite well. They'll beat us to it. And once they beat us to it, uh, and the Chinese beat us to EVs, as we force the market really quickly into EVs, we'll lose our domestic capabilities here. And then we'll, what do we have? We have these very healthy balance sheets in the oil and gas industry in the West right now. That's today's balance sheet. We have an opportunity, like you said, on carbon fiber. But we're also, you know, there's a great company that we wanted to pull into Arrow that was extracting uh, brine water uh, from uh, the uh, refining process and, uh, and turning e it into E3 metals. Uh, E3 yeah. metals based yeah. out of Calgary, yeah. and they 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 suck uh, lithium out of produced water for oil and gas. You're an Easterner, Flavio. I I yeah. we we forgive your. <laughs> God bless you. I'm a car guy. Regardless, I yeah, think yeah, yeah. I think they should be part of it. And and I think um, the one thing uh, that's getting in the way is this uh, east-west um, political dynamic in Ottawa that the the west is anchoring uh, one party and the central and the east is anchoring the other party. And, and uh, we're going to lose this opportunity in between. We took the car to Dubai um, and Abu Dhabi in um, December. And uh, we went for COP, and there was a lot of discussion at COP. Oh, how are the oil and gas companies here? And, and, and this is a little bit intermingled. But conversations we had with the most senior people at ADNOC, Abu Dhabi National Oil Company, say, okay, could we use your balance sheet to help transition? You know you need to transition. Uh, uh, we're not going to print money. Um, you know, maybe we use some of yours. I think we need to figure out how we do this, how we – how ears in – Edmonton and Calgary hear the same opportunity as ears in Toronto and Vancouver or Toronto and Montreal, that it isn't, I, we too often paint this politically as a zero sum game. And I, look, if I was sitting in, in Edmonton, I would say, you can keep your, you can keep your EV future. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be around the next 30, 40 years. I'll be fine here. And like you said, it's about our great grandchildren. I, I think that we just need to learn how to talk past the, the, the politics of it. And, and uh, there's going to be a lot of hurt. There's no question. I, you know, I, we, I can't, we can't charm people into transitioning, but uh, I, I was in Ottawa. I was walking. I, I went to this, this national summit on auto theft yesterday, walking in front of the Supreme court. Somebody had bought an ad and it said, well, as long as the world needs oil and gas, shouldn't it be Canadian? And, and I think it's a sentiment that we can't dismiss uh, for those of us who are major proponents of the shift. It'd be like, yeah, we can't ignore the fact that, that, um, that uh, and we shouldn't, that you have to pay the bills in this country and that the, the, the health of the country's balance sheet has that. But I, I think we in the, in, in the auto business need to go over to Edmonton a lot more and Calgary and say, okay, let me show you ROIs. Let's see if I can get you interested at scale. Uh, 
regular listeners of this podcast will know this, but I'll, I'll say it anyway. Uh, and that is that at Energy Media, we do two kinds of energy journalism. Energy, We do energy transition stuff for these kinds of conversations. We do a yeah. lot, probably half of the four or 500 interviews I do in a year are with people outside of Canada. They're in the US, Europe, Asia, wherever they happen to be. Very different perspective than Canadians, yeah. I might add. But the other half of our uh, journalism is about oil and gas. And it's specifically yeah. because Alberta is the epicenter, the big, the big 800 pound gorilla in that in the Canadian industry. And I might add, Canada is the fourth largest uh, oil producer in the world. I yeah. mean, we're a major, we are an energy superpower. We're not emerging, we're becoming, we are one. Anyway, my point is, I have ideas about what you just said. And that's grist for another conversation. But I agree, in essence, with with everything you did say. And how we advance that, again, we'll have another conversation about that in the near future. I want to go on now to talk about some of the Canadian policy, because I know that you meet with policymakers and bureaucrats in Ottawa all the time. It's part of your job. And my take on the energy transition policies that are coming out of the federal government are that they come through the climate lens more often than not. And they should be coming through the energy transition lens. The, the issue here is that Canada is facing existential economic threats from a shifting industrial base, a shifting global economy, and a shifting global energy system. And I'm frustrated at times. I know, you know, like people like uh, uh, Finance Minister Christian Freeland, who's from Edmonton, by the way, uh, will talk about we need muscular industrial policy. And then that's the last time you hear about it. You hear about it once, uh, you know, a year ago, and then it never shows up again. And the I want you to get your insights based on your experience on Parliament Hill. Does the federal government, both bureaucrats and elected officials, get that this is an energy transition and it needs its own lens? It just can't all come through climate. Some do but not enough. And it certainly isn't the posture of the government. Although it is many times in, in private and public conversation with the prime minister and the deputy prime minister, a full understanding of that. It's a, to understand and then to be seized of the, uh, of the, the threat with some tensions, two different things. You, you are, absolutely right that a lot of the policies being driven totally climate lens i mean i you know i have rather public battles with uh environment canada um i have rather public battles with some of their stakeholders you know environmental defense called project aero vanity project said it's greenwashing nonsense and to me i think you're missing they missed the point when they say things like that like I, what we try to do with aero is to talk about is to is to give a platform for what you talked about. It's like, okay, look, that climate lens, as long as it results in activity in Canada, as long as it drives some activity in Canada or or complements some of that industrial policy that's happening, you know, with a with an industry minister who's chasing battery investments, uh, 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 and and all of the the component classes, uh, you know, up and down that value stream. Okay, I find the federal government is working at odds. Uh, to itself and and we, we're pushing really hard on 
being the lead in this climate policy and forgetting that we should actually be the suppliers of that technology uh, of those raw materials and that they the 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 one half would see a major success if if we had 100% uh, EVs on a road in Canada in 2035 and they happen to be Chinese, well, so what? We've we've achieved our our climate policy goal there, and 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 uh, I think it mutes some of the good work that that is being done on the industry side. I don't know honestly, Mark. I I mean, I spent a lot of time on that beat, uh, as 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 you know, uh, you know, and I think you and I have the same religion. It. If we had a federal election where that was the central theme, that would be really interesting. I don't know that the next federal election uh, uh, would have that theme. I think the 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 governing party right now that is behind, if they would, if they were able to recast what they're doing in that sense, you're like, who it, are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust to be to to understand energy? Trend? They might do better. I don't know. Elections are often fought on pocketbook issues, jobs, yeah. wages, taxes, those kinds of things. And this is probably the, you know, you mentioned gray beard. Okay, I shaved, but when, you know, I do have a gray beard. I'm all, I've been around long enough that, uh, in fact, my first election, uh, you know, was around when uh, Justin Trudeau's father was uh, was prime minister. I remember those days. And the, my my point here is, in all of those years watching Canadian politics, watching you know the economy and so on, there has never been. A, a higher threat to what we do, nor has there ever been a bigger opportunity to do something different and better and to build yeah. on what we, and we don't as a country recognize that we have, we are, we, we are a very insular, uh, yeah. provincial looking country. We, we, th you know, we, we've grown fat on selling our, our resources and we don't, we think we can just do that forever as Michael Warnick does. And, and so that's a problem. Um, I don't know where to go with this, Flavio, because it it's we. You you laid out it would be nice if the federal government did this, and and there are some problems with that, and then there are some yeah. problems in the provincial governments, and and all of these things need their own conversations. We're we're not going to be able to to resolve them here. So maybe what I will do is ask you to just comment. Uh, and so as we wrap up the interview on one of the more controversial federal policies, which is the EV sales mandate, which was yeah. released not that long ago. So by the end of, uh, by 2035 in Canada, you'll no longer be able to buy a new internal combustion engine car. You can drive one if you've got one, yeah. you drive it as yeah. long as you want, as long as there's fuel, but you can't buy, you have to buy a, a zero emission vehicle, hydrogen, electric, whatever it happens to be. What's your take on that particular policy? Huh. You know, this is where that the the environmental uh, the, the the climate policy runs into the the economic transition policy. You know, I don't have to sell my bona fides on where we are on electrification. And before this, I was building solar power plants. But none of these things are charities. You have to you have to make money when you do it. Otherwise, you don't have a lender. Otherwise, you don't have a market or a future. So what we've been cautioning the federal government is. Don't go so steep on that curve that the five automakers that are here can't achieve the 20% by 2025 or the 60% by 2030 or 100% by 2035. And make sure that you are making the other investments, the ecosystem investments, to make sure that 
human beings can actually plug in vehicles. I think 100 is crazy. I think that the the real number is 35 to 40, but that is an incredible amount. The problem with the policy is what it says is if you don't hit the target, you have to pay a $20,000 penalty for every car that doesn't meet it. So as I talk to OEs that manufacture car here's, uh, cars here that employ hundreds of thousands of Canadians, they say, well, if we're in danger of not getting to the target, I'm not going to buy a credit that's given to my competitor that has exceeded the target. It has no, like VinFast makes nothing in Canada. Okay. What we'll do is we'll just uh, lower the, um, the, the amount of cars we sell this year so that the, the proportion goes up or we'll import the EVs from somewhere else. So as I try to tell the, the federal government from the prime minister on down, it's not good when your major manufacturers say we're going to sell less here or we're going to bring them in from somewhere else. Give them a, the same credit. Like if you make a car here, but you sell it to an American, we're not hermetically sealed at the border. Give them the credit so that we can get there. It is, for me, a microcosm of what you talked about, which is should we have an industrial policy that is focused on the transition, surviving it, and then thriving? Or should we have a climate policy that kind of sounds like the, the the challenge here, but who cares where they come from? I said, what we're going to end up with is way too many Chinese cars or way too many local-made cars with Chinese batteries. And then what are we doing? Well, on that note, this has been a fascinating conversation. And we need to uh, not let so much time go by before we have our next uh, our next chat, Flavio. Because yeah. this is all you all. I appreciate your your insights into policy and the industrial issues that are confronting the country. So thank you for this and, and appreciate your insights. Thank you. I'll leave this one last thought. This country needs um, new leaders. It's not to discard the ones that we have, but we need people who are willing to uh, uh, nation build and step out of where they are, wherever we are in private sector, and say, look, I understand it better. I'll take the political hit. I'm going to join the conversation, and we need to drive it. Because you're right. Uh, uh, it is just potentially number one uh, in this space, according to Bloomberg uh, NEF. My bet here is that uh, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, we will not be number one. We will be number three or number five, or worse, have missed the whole thing. On that note, thank you, sir. Thank you.